0: And that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. We have been in a series working through the book of Matthew Uh, together. uh, We just recently finished coming out of the early years of Jesus' life and uh, last. Two Sundays we've been looking at the inauguration of Jesus's public ministry and so we went from Jesus being about two year old two years old in Matthew chapter 2 and jumped ahead in Matthew chapter 3 to him being about 29, 30 years old right around in that time or, or that age range. and we begin to see Jesus inaugurating and Matthew writing for us the inauguration of Jesus's public ministry. And so we saw that Jesus' way was prepared by a man by the name of John the Baptist who came preaching repentance. We saw that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and when he came up out of the water, the Spirit descended on him like a dove and his Father spoke from heaven and said, "'This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased.'" And then last week we looked at the last part of his inauguration of his his uh, public ministry going public, and that is we saw his temptation. And so in Matthew chapter four and verse one we saw that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and we watched Jesus have the devil come after him three times, turn the stone into bread jump off the pinnacle of the temple and be rescued. Um, We saw the devil eventually just get to the heart of it and say, worship me, right? Bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. I'll give you their glory. And so we saw the devil come after Jesus repeatedly. And we know from Luke chapter four that the devil was constantly coming after Jesus in those 40 days, but we have recorded for us three temptations. And we saw that each one of those temptations, Jesus resisted. And we said, after looking at the text and realizing that Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy, an Old Testament book of the Bible, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 8, that ultimately what Jesus was showing us and what Matthew was showing us is that Jesus was the better son. Right, That as the children of Israel failed the test in the wilderness, when they came through the Red Sea and went to the wilderness, they failed the test. Jesus goes through the waters of baptism and comes to the wilderness and spends 40 days and 40 nights there and he passed the test. He is able to stay true to who he is as the son of God and he resists the devil. And so we saw last week that he obeyed his father and he resists the devil and he did what we could not do and what the children of Israel could not do because we were born sinners. And so we looked at that and we said this statement, Jesus is the better son. And we agreed together on that. But today, what I want to do, rather than continuing through the book of Matthew, is I, I wanna step back for a second and say, what does it really mean that Jesus is the better son? How does it affect our lives on November the 20th, 2022? Right, like I think at church world, We're really good at using these kinds of statements and words like Jesus is the better son and like, yeah, but then we really, if we're honest, don't know what that means, right? And we walk out of here with this sense of head knowledge of we know Jesus is the better son, but how does it really affect our lives in the day and day? And so the question is, why does it matter that Jesus is the better son? Is this just something good for us to know about him? Or does it affect our lives on Sunday, November the 20th, 2022? Does it change our lives today? And so my goal in our message together and our time together under the word is to think about this idea of Jesus being the better son in terms of three areas. Salvation, sanctification, and glorification. Salvation sanctification and glorification. What does it mean that Jesus is the better son in these areas of our lives? Why does this matter? You may say, I I thought we were going to talk about temptation today. You said that at the end of your message Yet last week, that today we're going to focus on temptation. And don't you remember that we all stood and said we struggled with temptation. So why talk about these terms like salvation and glorification if we struggle with temptation. And I'm going to try to figure out some other Asian words that I can say just to keep that going, right? But here's what I want to propose to you. We must start with salvation and end with glorification because the danger is we think about our sanctification, which is our fight against temptation, as earning our salvation and glorification rather than a part of our sanctification. All right? So that's the danger. If we jump right to sanctification, if we jump right to temptation, and we're not talking first about salvation and glorification, then what, what, dealing with temptation in our life becomes is a way to earn our salvation and glorification. So look at how good I am. Look at, I resist. I mean, I'm nearly a perfect person except for this one, right? And then it becomes all about us. And so if Jesus is the better son, then I believe it affects all three areas, these three areas of our lives. And I think if we start with sanctification, we start with temptation, what we're doing is we're putting the cart before the horse. Right? We have to have that lined up right so that as we think about temptation in our lives, we understand where it's coming from, we understand how it works in our lives because we understand salvation and we understand glorification, which in, in return will affect our sanctification. So why does it matter then that Jesus is the better son when it comes to our Salvation. Well, here's how I'm going to word it today. We're going to have bad news and good news. All right. So, with each one of these, I'm going to give you some bad news first, and then we'll get to some good news under each one. So, when it comes to our salvation, here's the bad news We, like the children of Israel, would have failed the test. Right? The failure started, and we know this, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. When we first encountered the devil in the form of a serpent, when he comes to Adam and Eve and he tempts them, what do Adam and Eve do? They fail the test. They eat of the fruit. And from that moment on, the Bible says, everyone that has been born has been born into sin. Listen to Romans chapter five and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was that one man? Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So Adam sinned and everyone born since Adam and Eve sins. So the children of Israel come along. They're the son of God, right? Referred to in Exodus as the son of God. And they are tested. And what do they do? They fail just like Adam and Eve failed. They didn't pass the test. Therefore, Jesus comes and he passed the test for us, right? Because why? Romans 6:23 says that the wages of sin is death. So because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, everyone born since Adam and Eve except for Jesus has died. Because of their sin. That's the result of sin. But death is not just a physical thing. There's this spiritual side of death as well. This separation from God. That's what he's talking about when he says the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death, but there's this spiritual death. So this this is the bad news. That we, like the children of Israel, would have failed the test. But here's the good news for you today. Christ passed the test. And we get his grade... On our report card, right? This is salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. In Matthew chapter four, verses one through eleven, we find a better son who didn't give into the temptation, but resisted the temptation, and he lived the life that we could not live. Therefore, he passed the test in the wilderness, but he just didn't pass the test in the wilderness, Jesus passed the test on the cross as well, where he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him from that moment, but he didn't call 10,000 angels, he didn't give in to the temptation, he passed the test for us. He died on the cross, a sinner's death for us, and three days later, he gave us what we could never otherwise attain in our own. And that is a resurrected life, eternal life. And John chapter one in verse 12 says, to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. To receive Jesus and to believe in Jesus is to receive is to take for yourself. This is something my parents couldn't do for me. This is something my grandparents couldn't do for me. This is something our pastors can't do for us. This is something you have to receive it. You have to take it for yourself. And then to believe is to trust. It's not just a mental assent to the idea of who God is. The Bible says that the devils believe in God and tremble at him. So to believe is a trust it's, it's to put my full weight into God and say, I believe that Jesus did what he said he did, that he was buried, that he, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. I believe and I trust my life in him. That's how a person becomes a child of God. And then when the father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, or our righteousness, he sees Jesus's righteousness. That's the idea of we get his grade on our report card. So that when the father looks at us, he sees straight A's. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So we understand that Jesus lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. So he said, and Paul says, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. What's the idea there? Not that Jesus became a sinner. The idea is that Jesus took the, the, the consequences of our sin on himself on the cross. That he absorbed the wrath of God that was rightfully ours. And what do we get in exchange for that? Look, listen to the rest of the verse. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and not ours. Yeah, amen. We get his grade on our report card. This is salvation. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that today is the day of your salvation. Today, you must understand that fighting temptation in your life begins with salvation. It doesn't begin with having victory over that sin that you struggle with. That's not where it starts at. It starts with salvation, a right relationship with God, and that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, if we skip salvation, we miss the most important part of our story. If I go right to temptation, we miss what defines us. and what defines us is that we are children of God, not the temptations that we struggle with. Because what I often find is I counsel and deal with people who struggle with addictions, those kinds of things is what I find is most people identify themselves by their temptation than they do by the reality that they are a child of God. So when you introduce yourself, you're an alcoholic, not a child of God, right? That's how they introduce themselves. I struggle with pornography. That's how they introduce themselves. I struggle with anger rather than I am a child of God. This is what defines me. And I think the enemy wants us to start with that so that we're just always fighting the struggle here and dealing with that rather than seeing the reality that our identity is wrapped up in the fact that we are children of God. This is what defines us. You are a child of God. You are a son and daughter of God. This is what helps you fight temptation is that you know your identity. You know who you belong to. Jesus was secure in his relationship with his father. So temptation hit different for him because he knew his father loved him and was pleased with him. That's why you have Matthew chapter three and the spirit descending and the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then he goes into the temptation. Then he goes into the wilderness. He was secure in his relationship with his father. If you are a child of God, temptation should hit you different because you know you're loved by God and he is pleased with you through his son who passed the test for you. Makes all the difference in the world. So that's why we start with salvation. Now, let me jump to the end. Glorification, we'll come back to sanctification, but let's go to glorification. This idea of looking beyond this life to the life to come. Here's the bad news about glorification. We still live in a world broken by sin, right? Can I get a witness to that today, right? Like as much as we understand and we feel the weight of temptation in our lives, we know that we live in a world that is broken by sin. Romans chapter 8. In verse 19 through 22, it says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility, meaning it wasn't designed to work this way, not willingly, but because of him who was subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. What is Paul saying? We feel The brokenness of the world that we live in. There's a groaning of the brokenness of this world because of sin. But the good news is this, that Jesus will make everything new, right? That this is not the end of the story. The bad news, we live in a broken world because of sin. The good news is one day Jesus will make everything new. We find this in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, we find this destiny or the, the, uh, uh, the, the final resting place of the evil one when it says this, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Here's what this verse is saying. The devil has an expiration date. Right? Like, there's a day where well, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. And he will not deceive, he will not destroy, he will not have any more ability to do that, to hurt to bring temptation in our life. He has an expiration date, but it goes on in Revelation chapter 21 and verse three and says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And listen to verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death. Shall be no more. Can I get a witness in the house, right? And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Right? Yes. That will, that will be a great Day. Because on that day, God will once and for all reverse the curse of sin. And what will make glorification sweet is that the battle with temptation will be done. See, if you go to the end of chapter 21 and verse 27, it says this, of the new heavens and the new earth, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That will be a great day. And Jesus knew who he belonged to, but he also knew where he had come from and where he was headed to. That is why when Satan offered him the kingdom of this world and the glory of this world, if he would simply worship him, Jesus passed. It was all his in the end anyways. And so the best that Satan could offer him was nothing compared to what he had and what he was going to get. And I would say this to you today. The best that Satan has to offer you in this life is nothing compared to the life that is coming for us. There's no pleasure that he can offer you that will be better than the pleasure of glorification with Christ forever and eternity. This is why... We fight temptation. This is why it matters that Jesus is the better son. Not only because it saves us from our sin and we get his report card, but it also for our eternity says, this is not the end for us. This is the reality. Our best life is not now. Our best life is to come. That's great news in a broken world. So understanding our salvation, where we've come from, understanding our glorification. Now, let's get to the here and now in our sanctification. What's this word sanctification? Sanctification is this. It's the progressive work of the Holy Spirit setting us apart to look more And more like Christ. Let me give you that definition again. Sanctification is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit, setting us apart to look more and more like Christ. On family dedication day, it's this. It is like a child that progressively looks more and more like their parents the older they get, right? Like, I can remember as a student thinking, I do not want to look anything like my mom and dad, right? When they get older. But the reality is, the older I get, I look more and more like my mom and dad. The gray hair is going to keep moving up, right? Look at my mom. I love my mom, but her head is full of gray hair, right? So, you can make fun of my gray hair moving up the side. It's going to move all the way because I've seen my mom, right? I see what's going to happen. The older we become... The longer we are Christians, the more and more we should look like Jesus Christ. And this is sanctification. This is what God testing us, allowing things to come into our life, is to grow us to look more and more like him. Testing is a part of our sanctification. It is God allowing these things into our life, not because he wants to, us to, to mess up and so he can point his finger at us and be like, look, you're a failure. The point of testing in our lives is that we would look more and more like Jesus. So that when the world looks at us, they don't see Steve, they see Jesus. And they say, amen. You don't. You don't give in to that temptation. You're not going down that path. Obviously, that can't be you. How is that working itself out? Well, it's Jesus in me, right? This is this is sanctification. So, what does Jesus being the better Son have to do with my sanctification? Well, here's the bad news. The bad news is the devil is still tempting today, right? First Peter chapter five, and verse eight says this: Be sober-minded. Be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The same devil and his workers that tempted Jesus are still at work today. So the devil, this is the bad news, is still tempting. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 12 when he says this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the darkness of this age. Like, that's what we wrestle against today. And so the bad news for us is that the devil is still tempting. And you know that from last week because we all stood together and acknowledged that together, that the devil is still tempting. But here's the good news, church. Jesus conquered the devil on the cross, right? Colossians chapter 2 in verses Verse 17, Colossians 2, verse 12, actually, Colossians 2 and verse 15, not 12, not 17, verse 15 says this. Those are all good verses if you want to read them, but verse 15 is where I wanted to go. It, you, so sometimes I have things in my notes and I can't track with my eyes to find what verse it is, you know, so I'm like looking and I see other verses and it's like, well, maybe that's the one and I'll try to act like I'm really smart and I say it and then it's like, ah, that wasn't smart. And then I try to say it again, miss the verse again. So finally, it's just like, just look at the Bible and just say whatever verses. So there you go. That, that's what's, what's going on in my head right now. Just, so Colossians chapter two and verse 15. It says this Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How did he do this? On the cross. So on the cross, Jesus gave us victory. On the cross, the enemy thought, look, we've won the day, we have nailed the Son of God to the cross. But what they didn't know is they were putting the nail in their own coffin, right? As they were nailing Jesus to the cross. And through him, because three days later, he rose from the grave and he conquered sin. And he conquered the devil. And he conquered death. And so today, when we face temptation, yes, we face the presence of temptation. Because we live in a broken world and the devil is still on the prowl. Yes, that's the bad news, but the good news is we don't have to give in to the power of sin. Sin has no power over us. Why? This takes us all the way back to salvation. Because we are children of God. And as children of God, we have his righteousness to our account. Therefore, we don't have to give in to the power of sin. We've been set free because of Jesus Christ. This is good news for us today. So you look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18 then, it says this about Jesus. It says, for because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able then to help those who are being tempted. So as we look at the life of Jesus, and he suffered while being tempted, so we looked at it last week, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We saw him resist the devil. Because Jesus was tempted and didn't sin, the author of Hebrews says, he's here to help us now. Then you go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, and it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect who has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to what? Help in time of need. Amen. So because Jesus was the better son and because Jesus resisted the devil, he now helps us in our temptation. How does he help us in our temptation? As we narrow this down to this, how does he help us in our temptation? I'm gonna give you three things that he does to help us in our temptation. The first thing that he does to help us when we're tempted is he gives us the word. Do you remember last week when the devil would come and tempt Jesus? What would he say back to him? It is written. It is written. It is written. Now, of all the people who could resist temptation and use his own words, and he sort of was because he's the author of scripture, but, but he could use his own words. And let me give you a theological reason why me turning this stone into bread is not feasible. Why me jumping off the pinnacle of the temple is not feasible. Why me bowing down and worship you is not feasible. Of all the people that have ever lived, he could have said that. And we've been like, good, good for you. But Jesus starts with the word. And every time he's tempted, he says, it is written. Again, it is written. Be gone, Satan. It is written. He uses the word. So how does Jesus help us with temptation today? He's given us the word. Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. God has given us the word. In Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul is laying out this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in, he talks about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, so put on the whole armor of God. And he's talking about a helmet and a breastplate and all this kind of stuff. And then he says the one offensive weapon outside of prayer that we have is the what? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the way Jesus helps us in our temptation is through the word of God. Think about if we were to send our troops over to war on the other side of the country or the other side of the world to fight a battle and we were to say to them, listen, this time when you go to battle, take your helmet, take your body armor, take your shield but don't have any weapons with you. How successful could they be at war? Well, probably not very successful, right? They could hold off the attack for a while, but eventually they would need some offensive weapons that would move the line forward. And just as ridiculous as it is to think That we would send troops to war without an offensive weapon. Just as ridiculous for us to go into battle with the enemy without the sword. The word of God. So why do you think it's so hard for you to spend time in the word every day? Why do you think it's such a battle to gather every Sunday and be under the preaching of the word of God? Why do you think it's so hard to memorize scripture? I can memorize stats and players' names and I can talk about all that kind of stuff. But when I memorize God's word, it's like, ah, I know it starts with this, right? And I can't remember the next word and somebody can help me, right? But but I can remember stats and people's names, not as good as Bob, but I can remember people's names, right? I can do that kind of stuff. Why? Because the enemy's at work. He knows that the offensive weapon that we have is the word of God. Jesus helps us by giving us the word. So use the word. Don't leave it in your pocket, right? Pull it out and use it against the enemy. The second thing that that Jesus does to help us with our temptations is he's given us the spirit. This is is a mind-boggling thought for me. The same spirit that led Jesus not only into the wilderness but through the wilderness is the same spirit that through Jesus will give you exactly, you and I, exactly what we need when we are tempted. Is that not mind-boggling? That the same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness is the same spirit That if you call yourself a child of God that lives inside of you, how do we know that? John 16, Jesus says, it's better if I go away because when I go away, I'll send a helper, a counselor, the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of each one of you. So the same spirit that helped Jesus resist the devil is the same spirit that lives inside of you and is available to you when you go fight against temptation. As God is allowing testing into your life so that you look more like him, you have the spirit available to you to fight that temptation. I don't want to downplay the spirit, but if I were to try to give you a visual of the spirit I would think of Mr. Miyagi in Karate Kid, right? (laughs) As I think about Mr. Miyagi in Karate Kid, he trains karate, or trains karate, he trains Daniel, son, right? He trains Daniel to how to fight, right? He trains them how to fight. And one of the things I love is you, you watch this unfold where he's helping him along in his journey and then they go to do these karate competitions, And as you watch Daniel fight in those competitions, he's remembering the things that his teacher taught him. And this is what the Holy Spirit does as we go to battle is he brings to mind the word of God. He brings to mind the things that we have, that we have learned about Christ in our fight against temptation. And so you come to the final scene and you have... Daniel, having his legs swept several times, right, and his knees bothering him, he's limping around. And one of my favorite scenes is, here is Daniel laying on the ground, and Mr. Miyagi runs out of the stands, and he runs, and he gets on the ground with him, and he's encouraging him, and he says to him in that moment, karate is something that is in you. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us when we're laying on the ground from battle and we're wore out from the temptations that keep coming our way, the Holy Spirit whispers in our ear through his word, there's a way of escape. God is faithful. Stay in the game. Don't give in. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the Holy Spirit. Then the last way that Jesus helps us, the word the Spirit, and one we don't often talk about, but I would refer to as the mission. Jesus knew why he was here on earth. How could he resist the devil? Because he knew his mission. He knew why he had been put here on the earth. That's why he didn't bow down and worship Satan so that he could get the kingdom and the glory. Because what was Satan offering him? A shortcut to his mission. He was saying, don't go through all the suffering, don't go through all the sorrow, just get the glory. And so because Jesus knew that his mission was to come and live the life that you and I couldn't live, die the death that we deserve to die, he was focused on what God had called him to do, the mission. And when you're tempted... I believe that ultimately the Lord helps us, Jesus helps us by keeping us focused on the mission. Do you know that you have a mission? Your purpose is Psalms 115 in verse one, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Your purpose is to glorify God. Do you know that you have a mission? You know what your mission is? Matthew 28, 19, go, make disciples of all nations. You have a purpose and you have a mission. So when the enemy comes to tempt us, he's ultimately trying to get us off mission. It's really not, I I know we like to be self-centered and it's all about us, but, but I would say it's ultimately not about you or me. It's about the name of Jesus And it's about getting us off mission, which he's called us to do. So think about it in this way. Why will he come after our marriages? Well, because Ephesians 5 says that our marriages, this mystery is profound, this gospel, Jesus and his love for us. But he's saying, it's referring to Christ in the church. So as we look at marriage, marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church. So why is he going to come after our marriages? It's not really ultimately about our marriages. It's about what our marriages represent. The name of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. Todd just said this in parenting. We don't just have kids to populate the earth. We have kids to make disciples. So why is he going to come after you as a parent? Why is he going to tempt you towards anger, towards discouragement, towards giving up on your kids? Why is he going to do that? Because it's about his name and making disciples. So if he can get you distracted from that, from the mission of your life, the mission of your parenting, he'll do that. Now listen, don't let me deceive you by saying that marriage is the ultimate thing. If you're single in the room, he wants to distract you. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible says that Paul said to the single people in his audience, it's better for you to remain single so that you can be full on for the Lord. And you're not distracted by the things of this world, a.k.a. a wife and kids, right? And he says, so use your singleness for the glory of God. And yet we live in a world that says, use your singleness for yourself. Live it up in your 20s because when you get married in your 30s, then you're bored and you got a wife and kids and life is blah, right? You work a job. So do what you want to do in your 20s. What's he trying to do? Get you off mission. Because Paul says your singleness is to be used for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. That you can be singular focused and have singular passion for him. So use your singleness for the glory of God. But he'll tempt us in that. He'll tempt the church to get off mission. What is the purpose of the church? We exist to glorify God. What is our mission? To make disciples of all nations. Do you think he's not going to come after us and try to get us off mission? So what's he going to use? Politics? Preferences? People? to try to distract us from the mission. James chapter two talks about showing partiality. Let's give the front row seats to the wealthy and let's push all the poor people to the back, right? He'll use that to distract us from the mission of leading, uh, uh, the mission of glorifying him and making disciples. And so how do we resist? How does Jesus help us fight temptation? He gives us a mission. Like a runner who runs hurdles. When they run, they don't look at the hurdles. They look at the finish line. They keep their eyes up. Watch them. They keep their eyes up. Why? Because they're focused on where they're going, not the temptations in front of them. And it's so easy in our lives to get focused off mission to get focused on the things of this world and lose the mission that God has set before us to glorify him and to make disciples. Some of you today are giving into temptation day after day because you've lost sight of your purpose and you've lost sight of your mission. You've lost sight of the reality that you exist to glorify God. And if he can distract you from that, if he can distract you from making disciples, he'll do that. You have purpose. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say that you are your temptation. You are your addiction. You've been given purpose. I think there's one scripture verse in the Bible that really, I think, summarizes what we've been talking about today in a really clear and succinct way. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says this, and we, we identified this last week. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So last week when we all stood we acknowledged that temptation is common to man. But what are the next three words? Same with me. God is faithful. Isn't that awesome? God is was faithful to his son to give him exactly what he needed to resist the devil. And here's the really powerful thing. God is going to be faithful to you through the person of Jesus Christ to give you exactly what you need to resist the temptation. So he says it this way, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Why? Because yes, we feel the presence of sin, but the power of sin has been broken through Jesus. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, the word, the spirit, the mission that you may be able to endure. So last week, as we began the message about Jesus's temptation. I said, if you struggle with temptation, would you please stand to your feet? And at every service, just to be honest, everyone stood. And this was the bad news, that we all struggle with temptation. But now I want to end this week's message by us acknowledging the good news. And I want to ask you this question. If you struggle with temptation, but believe the good news, that God is faithful to give you victory over those temptations through Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet. Now, look around you. God is faithful. You're not alone. You're not alone in your struggle, but here's the reality you're not alone in your victory either. Yeah. Right. So we can link arms together and go to battle week after week. Why? God is faithful, He'll not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to handle it, but with the temptation make a way of escape, the word, the spirit, the message that we may endure. Father, thank you for the reality of the bad news that we all struggle with temptation. But the good news that through you, because you were the better son, we have victory over those temptations. And so my prayer is for each person that's standing in this room today that these would not just be words on a screen. They would not, this would not just be something they did at church today but this would be a reality for their week. That when the enemy comes, because he will, when he comes and he tries to tempt them this week, my prayer is that you would bring to remembrance your word the spirit, and the mission that you put them on. And may they stand strong in you. And when they feel like they're the only ones, may this visual come back to their mind. And may they be reminded that your grace is enough, that you are sufficient for each temptation that will come their way. And that there's a group of people, a church called Antioch Bible Baptist Church, that with them, beliefs, we have victory through Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.